Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archived teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Welcome to Living with Reality. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Svoboda's media manager. Today, we have an episode all about urges and how the texts speak of urges and why we should not ignore them. And also the difference between, say, a cultural urge and a physiological urge and some ways to start pulling that apart and thinking about it. So we hope you enjoy this episode. If you are interested in learning more with Dr. Svoboda, he has a number of courses on Ayurveda, Jyotisha, Tantra, and so many of the allied subjects of India. You just have to go to Dr. Svoboda, D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A dot teachable dot com, and you will see all of them there. You can also visit his website at drsvoboda.com. We hope you enjoy the episode. Namaste. My subject today is urges and their suppression. This is, of course, a civilizational problem. Because before civilization, before there was any concept in human beings of society, there were simply urges that one acted on whenever one wanted to act on them as all animals do, instinctually. After civilization, however, instinct has become subsidiary, secondary, to accepted modes of behavior. And accepted modes of behavior are generally beneficial. I think we can all agree it's more beneficial to have your area for relieving of wastes in one place and your area preparing food in another location. But sometimes the civilizational expectations and the drives of the body in the form of urges may clash. And that's going to be our subject for today. In the Ayurvedic texts, a legitimate urge, and by legitimate, uh, I mean one that is physiological, The urge to throttle your neighbor is not a legitimate urge. It is not a physiological urge. It is a psychological urge. And number two, murder of nearby people is frowned upon in all civilizations. So legitimate urges should not be suppressed. In Sanskrit, what this said is how this is expressed is vegan na. Dariyet. So the word vega means urge. Vega is another, is a term that can also mean speed. 
So the implication of an urge is something that comes on that has a certain momentum and velocity behind it, and it is something that should not be interfered with. It should be permitted to express itself. And the reason for this, of course, is vata. Because when vata, which is in charge of expelling all kinds of things from the body, when vata is not permitted to do its job of expelling whatever it is it's trying to expel, then it tends to become disturbed. And when vata is disturbed, it disturbs everything else in the body. Remember that the distinction between prana and vata is that prana is the life force. It is moving deep in the tissues. It is expanding into all parts of the organism. It is harmonious. It promotes harmony. And it is not only delivers life, it also preserves life. Vata is out of balance, eccentric, meaning off-center. It is excessive in certain areas, insufficient in other areas. It causes things to get knotted up. It causes things to become obstructive. It creates disturbances. It impairs or interrupts harmony. So, Everything that we can do to keep vata flowing appropriately and agreeably is something that we should do because good management of all of the many things that are flowing in our bodies is essential if we want to maintain good health. And good management of flow requires discipline. So one of the disciplines is the discipline of allowing those things that vata is insisting on being expelled from the body to be expelled from the body. In the texts, generally speaking, there are, and there are different lists, as there are for so many things in the texts, but there is generally a list of 14 things that should not be interrupted when they are attempted to be experienced by the body. I'm going to read them all out and then comment on each one of them. And these things are flatus, feces, urine, sneezing, thirst, hunger, sleep, cough, Panting when you're exhausted, yawning, crying, belching, vomiting, and for men, ejaculating when stimulated. Now, you will notice there are a couple of these things that we would not think of exactly as urges that need to be, of things that need to be expelled from the body, thirst and hunger, for example, and sleep. But they are still very strong urges and in fact, these three things and the emphasis on ejaculation are aspects of Ayurveda that are in another enumeration 
because Ayurveda is fond of enumerating things. There is a group called the Three Pillars of Life. Those pillars being digestion, sleep, and sexual energy. If you have good digestion, good sleep, and you are using your sexual energy well and properly, then you are supporting your life as if you had erected some very large pillars under the roof of your life and they were supporting that life roof and you were comfortable underneath it. The implication being that if your digestion is not good, your sleep is not good, and your sexual energy is not balanced so that it is circulating well within you, so that your shukra datu, your reproductive juices, are not being properly transformed into ojas, which is the very subtle substance that creates immunity, creates the aura, and causes the integration of body, mind, and spirit together. If if those three factors are not being properly addressed, if they are not in a harmonious state, then your life is as if it's as if you're living in a building with whose supporting beams have been compromised and the roof could fall in on you at any moment. So it is for this reason that these are particularly mentioned in this group of vegas, of urges that must not be suppressed. When you are hungry, you need to eat. Of course, this means when you are physiologically hungry, not psychologically hungry. And there is a dramatic difference between these two. And you need to keep reminding yourself of what it feels like to be physiologically hungry. And it is for this reason that it's good to fast periodically. One of the reasons to fast periodically is to allow all the metabolic toxins from your system to be thrown out of your body. Another reason is because both your body and your microbiome need some time not to be taking things in, but rather to simply be resting and not acting on all of the things that you expect them to act on. And another important reason is so that your organism will remember what it's like not to be in a state where food is available 24 hours a day, which was never in human experience the case except for some very rich people until this past few decades. So being able to determine when you are physiologically hungry, paying attention to when you're thirsty, because all too often we suppress the urge of thirst and a large percentage of modern people are chronically dehydrated because of this. And that is actively interfering with their health and their well-being. So we do want to pay lots of attention to thirst and hunger. And when we feel the urge to sleep, for example, then it's important to go to sleep, even if for a minute or two go to sleep, allow your body to feel that urge because if you interrupt the ur any kind of urge too often, 
One of the things that will happen when you interrupt it is that your body will start paying less attention to it because it thinks you don't want to pay attention to it for whatever reason. Then it will be, you will get less urges to go to sleep. Then you, you will find it more difficult to facilitate the movement of your organism into sleep. So what's important is to, when that urge to go to sleep is there, find yourself a place to curl up even for two minutes, even if it's just on a chair, and allow that urge to express itself and then wake up again and continue with whatever it is you're doing. So you'll notice that this list begins with flatus, with gas. And of course, the word for that is vata. And I believe that's the reason why that the, that that word that the reason why that word comes first is that all of these relate to vata, the dosha. So in this case, vata, the word vata means gas in the intestine, and but it also represents all of those other thirteen things because all of them are connected very strongly to the vata dosha. So you should never suppress a fart. Obviously, in the modern world, it is not so easy to do this. But as far as possible, passing gas should not be suppressed because it interferes with the free movement of vata. You should not suppress your urine. I mean, that's very clear. You should not suppress the desire to defecate because again, if you ignore it after a while, you, your body will get will stop giving you that, that indication that it would like to empty the colon. And that is going to be very disturbing for the vata in your body because it is very important for your bowels to continue to move because the large intestine is the chief seat of vata in the body. And if the bowels are moving well, then the rest of the vata in the body is going to, generally speaking, be working well. So these three items, removing gas, feces, and urine, waste products, extremely important. And that's why they come first. Deal with them first. Next comes sneezing. As we know, sneezing should not be obstructed. In fact, there have been cases where people have damaged their eardrums by trying to suppress sneezing. So this is not just a theoretical, maybe my vata will go out of balance kind of problem. This is a very potentially practical problem. Coughing. Suppressing a cough can also aggravate vata, irritate the throat, disturb the physiology of your head and neck. The word for exertion that is used in this group is shrama. And shrama literally means working until you're exhausted. So when you're, you've been working very hard, you're exhausted, If you have been working properly, you've been pacing yourself, you've been breathing well, and you are able to continue breathing in a nice, controlled way through your nostrils. 
But if you have overdone it and you start to have to pant for breath, you need to do that and not try to restrain yourself abnormally. Ideally, what you do is you exert in such a way that you only breathe through your nose and therefore you are not going to get to the point where you're so exhausted you have to pant for breath. But if you have reached that stage, then acknowledge that reality and move ahead from there. The next in the list is yawning. Do not suppress a yawn. That can also disturb muscles and what have you. The next is crying. And this is said to be potentially physiological damaging and that dam- physiologically damaging in that you might obstruct some uh, pathway of, of your tear in your tear duct or something like that. But it's also even more the, the point that when you're crying, you're releasing emotion. So what you want to do is not interfere with the proper release of emotion. The next two in particular, are important because of the upward movement nature of vata, upwardly moving nature in a way that is not usually the case. The first being burping or belching and the other being vomiting. So when there is air in the stomach, It needs to come out because otherwise it will go down into the intestine and possibly disturb the intestine before then it is passed in that way. And vomiting is a way of the organism getting rid of something that it really doesn't want to digest. So if you restrain it from doing that, then it will be very possibly taking in something that will not be good for it. Now, In all of these cases, it's important to remember that these, the Ayurvedic texts were written at a time when life was a lot simpler. And if you were going to vomit, it was very likely because there was something physiologically going on with you. And it was not because you were so anxious that you became nauseated and and you were, there was so much vata be, being crea- disturbing you that, that it was vata itself trying to come up that was creating what sometimes I have called the dry heaves. That is where your body is attempting to vomit, but there is nothing in there in, with which to vomit. And so it is happening, that happens either because you have the a condition in which you are you have been you have you have brought up so much material that there's nothing left to come up but your body is still trying to throw things out or it is because you have become so fearful or more likely so anxious that you can't any longer restrain that vata that is being that has been created by that fear or anxiety and it has to come out in some way sometimes when people are afraid 
it will cause them to vomit. Sometimes it will cause them to defecate. It's the body is preparing for a fight or flight response, and it is it is stabilizing itself in that moment at the best way it can. But and while there's still plenty of things to fear in the world, it is more common, especially nowadays, for there to be anxiety. And so this is something that was not so common in the past and therefore did not, did not appear in the Ayurvedic texts to a substantial degree. But it is something that's very important, something we, we need to evaluate because it is part of today's reality. So for a moment, let's consider the difference between anxiety and fear. Anxiety is oriented towards the future. Fear is oriented towards the present. That's an important distinction. Because in the past, why worry about what's going to happen in the future? Let's worry about, are the Mongols coming over the hill today? If they're not, we can relax briefly. If they are, then we need to act immediately. We can't worry. So there was, there was no use in being anxious all the time back then because often there were problems you had to deal with immediately. Now there are less problems we have to deal with immediately, literally, and this gives us the opportunity to think about what might happen in the future, and that's where anxiety comes in. Fear is short-lived. Anxiety is a long-lasting situation. Fear focuses on the present, Anxiety focuses on what might happen in the future. It's a projection. Fear is specific. There's a specific threat. That's what I'm afraid of. Anxiety is diffuse. It's broadly focusing on what may be a threat. And fear is, motivates you to try to escape from that threat whereas anxiety motivates you to simply become more anxious because there is such uncertainty. And that very excess of uncertainty in many people makes it difficult to, to, to find a way to cope constructively. So anxiety is in very much a vata kind of aggravation. But it differs from these vegas and it differs from fear by being chronic. All these vegas are natural manifestations of concentrated vata that is looking for a way out of the body and has a way out of the body. Anxiety is not concentrated, it's not focused, and it has no way out of the body. But it also causes vegas, and we call those panic attacks. So this is a vega that should also not be suppressed, but it also should not be reinforced. And that's what often happens, being reinforced by breathing shallowly and letting the thoughts do whatever they want to do and tensing up, becoming constricted, and the more constricted you become, the less the opportunity for vata to circulate 
And the more that constriction aggravates vata further, and that aggravation of vata is going to create more anxiety. So in the context of anxiety is a vega, that's something also that we have to not suppress because that in itself will make the anxiety even more intense. But we also have to understand that letting that flow freely and going into the panic attack is not going to solve the problem either because it is not a natural urge. So it is an urge, but it is not a natural urge. So because it is not a natural urge, then we have to do with, deal with it in some other way because we have to find a good way to return to a situation where things are flowing properly. We need the flow to become proper. We need good flow And that good flow is, remember, in Sanskrit, we call sukha, good space. There has to be space in which there is going to be flow. And this is why Vagbhata says that those who speak the truth, who never become angry, who lead a spiritually pure life, and who are always serene are considered to be rejuvenated daily. So, obstructing these various urges is going to aggravate vata, and that will have the opposite effect from rejuvenation. But in addition to that, there are other things that we need, other positive urges that we need to develop. The urge to remain calm. Remaining calm is not always an easy thing to do, especially when you're feeling anxious, especially when people are attacking you for for what they may have imagined you have done and which in fact has nothing to do with with the actual reality of the situation. So it can be quite a challenge in the modern world to remain calm, but that is something that is very desirable if you are going to actually experience a daily return to that quality of functioning that we can call a youthful experience. So you, your body may never be what it was like when you were young, but the functioning of your prana can remain youthful and that will keep you youthful as long as possible. So remaining calm, <clears throat> number one, speaking the truth. And speaking the truth, of course, also, it's not just a matter of speaking the truth. It has to be spoken in such a way that it is is not hurtful, that it is offering a scenario that will encourage harmony to be, if not already present, to be manifested, and if already present, to be maintained And truth itself is a reflection of good flow. That very word, sattva, 
sattva, rajas, and tamas, but sattva is also a word that Ayurveda uses to mean the mind. Sattva literally means the condition of being real or being true. So that is what the job of the mind is. The job of the mind is to accurately take in information from the sense organs, accurately understand the situation, and accurately forward this in, forward this information to the faculty of discernment so that decisions can be made. And that good decisions can only be made if the mind is truthfully telling the faculty of discernment the real situation. So if you are if you are seeing the situation and you are pretending that it is something else, if you're not telling the truth to yourself, if you're lying to yourself, you're the one who's going to be damaged by it because you're going to make decisions based on a wrongful appreciation of what a particular situation is. When you suppress the truth from yourself, then you obstruct the movement of prana in your system, because for us, prana is truth, prana is reality. And aligning ourselves with prana means accepting whatever reality we happen to be in, whatever that, however comfortable or uncomfortable that reality might be, and then addressing it in a meaningful way, strategizing and acting without being tied up in knots by anxiety or inertia or anything else that might impair our ability to interact with reality in, a, in an appropriate way. We can almost suggest that there is an urge to speak the truth. It is natural to speak the truth. And when we follow the dictates of that urge, it benefits us immensely. Remaining calm and not becoming angry is important because anger has an inflammatory response on the system. Anger is hot. Inflammation is hot. So you're literally burning yourself when you become angry. When you're afraid, you're constricting yourself. You're freezing yourself. Neither of these intense emotions, anger or fear, is going to promote health in you. Righteous anger is a different matter. If your small child runs into the street, you have to be angry with that child. You don't have to become uncontrollably angry. You don't have to, you don't have to damage the child physically, but you have to make it very clear to the child that that behavior is totally unacceptable and staying out of the street is absolutely essential. But you can't be overwhelmed by that anger. You have to be challenging yourself to channel that anger in such a way that it is calm anger, it is truthful anger, and it is just the right amount that will achieve your goal without either allowing the child to ignore you or feeling traumatized forever after because you overdid it. The other factor that Vagbhata 
mentions is to lead a spiritually pure life. And this, of course, in Kali Yuga, where we are now, means to repeat the sweet name of God at all times, because by doing that, you will be promoting the proper movement of Vata, which ultimately will encourage all of those Vegas, all of those urges to only appear at the appropriate moment and to be easily dealt with. So in conclusion, the ultimate treatment for all problems, as always, is the sweet name of God. Om Shri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram Thank you.